MJ here, your podcast host. This is the show where we talk about all things life, struggles, and trauma. Only full transparency, no filters, no judgment, because nobody cares. Today's episode, I wanted to start off a little bit different. Um, and if it's a hit, we're going to keep doing it in every episode. But first, I just wanted to share that our podcast has reached 100 plus listens. And to me, that's such a big deal. Because in the beginning, when I was first brainstorming this idea, I was like, nobody's going to listen. And it's so funny because I use a lot of I do a lot of plays on my podcast title which is nobody cares and I'm like man what if nobody cares enough to listen but I am so thankful for everybody who gives me such positive feedback every time a new episode comes out it's so heartwarming to know that you guys enjoy my little humble come up as an immigrant in this country so thank you for that One of my favorite podcasts that I listen to weekly, they do this thing called Peaks and Pits. And so I kind of wanted to do that here, but faves and fails. Ah, you see what I did there? (laughs) So one of my faves for the week is that the babies started their own little mini business. We have so many entrepreneurs in the making in our family. Um, sister has really been bugging like really all summer long. She was like, I want to start my own business. I want to sell lemonade and I want a lemonade stand. And of course, as a grown up, you know, we have busy lives with work and raising kids. <laughs> and so the idea kind of fell onto the back burner and I kept telling them like, yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it when we have time. And this past weekend, it was Labor Day and she called us out and she was like you promised we would do a lemonade stand and now summer is over and we never did a lemonade stand and so I felt bad because I was like man this is a really big deal for her and so that same day we were like let's do it you know what let's do it let's go to the store get your materials and the product that you're going to retail and we talked to her like a grown-up and we were like we're gonna have to catch your piggy bank to you know invest into your little business And it was so sweet because she was super excited. We came up with, you know, we brainstormed some things that we were going to sell. We came up with a candy shop. And so she had a good chunk of change in her little piggy bank. And the sweetest part of it is, if you didn't know, their dad recently went to heaven uh, this past December. But when dad was still here with us, he kept a five-gallon water jug that he would always put his change into every time he would come into town. You know, he was an on-the-road truck driver, so he would accumulate a lot of change going into the truck stops and stuff like that, and he would put that change into that jug every time he came. And when he went to heaven, we made sure that we kept that jug for them. And so she didn't really realize the sentiment in it, but it was her piggy bank and her dad's piggy bank that started her little candy stand. And so we started that and I had so many clients and so many followers on my IG come and stop by and make their day. Like they had Monday and they were off of school because it was Labor Day. So they did a little pop-up at the shop 
and oh my gosh so many people groups of people came out and supported and these kids made bank on their first day and that was really heartwarming to see that so it's good to know that adults nurture and nourish kids you know endeavors and their young dreams because one day they're going to be too old and they're going to be like too cool for school you know they're going to think that candy stands are so lame so that's one of my week's faves and another one is em and i went uh i know a lot of you know that we're doing the alphabet dating and so we had the letter e this weekend and it was so much fun we did an escape room and then we went and had elotes afterwards so that was it was so much fun. It's really is forcing us to be creative and not go to our like usual spots every time we go on dates. <laughs> so next is F and we kind of don't know what we're going to do yet. If you have any suggestions, let me know in the comments. But my weeks fail. You guys, I had three teeth extracted on this past week. It was the most painful thing. Well, one of the most painful things I've ever been through. And the thing that sucked the most is that I was on antibiotics and pain meds for the next like few days. And so I had the process done. I had the extraction done on a Friday. I had a long day of clients Saturday. And I felt so bad. I hate having to reschedule clients all the time, but I didn't realize that it was going to be that big of a procedure. So I was like, absolutely not. I can't work on everybody's lashes on drugs. So I had to reschedule everyone. But I'm always so grateful. I always tell everybody I had the best clients because they're so patient and so understanding and so loyal. I've just lived such a blessed life when it comes to my profession. So as my childhood story progresses, I kind of want to share what I feel like was a turning point for my relationship with my parents. I was in sixth grade already at this point, and I had adjusted pretty well to the culture in the States and accepted, you know, my role as the big sister. Like I mentioned, I had a seven-year gap between me and my younger sister. I was really close to the kids at this point already. I had two brothers and three sisters, so I was the oldest of six. And um, I remember just still struggling at home with, you know, resentment and detachment. And I just felt, I felt a little ostracized, if I'm being honest. And keep in mind, this is all from my my point of view and my recollection and my feelings. And um, I was going really attached to my siblings because, you know, I did a lot of the the big sister things because I was the one capable of helping potty train and helping change diapers and feeding and for a long time I was the only one that was in school full-time until the kids started reaching you know pre-k kindergarten age but I just remember that there was a very distinct difference on the love that I was receiving versus the love that they were receiving but I tried not to take you know make anything of it more than it was but as a young kid, it's always, you know, like you, the sky's always falling when you're young. Like it was very like, oh, they, they love me different because I'm just adopted and those are their real kids. So they love, they really love them for real. And I only get the leftover kind of love. And that's how I felt for a really long time. But I'm sure that my parents felt like they were doing the best that they could trying to adjust to me, you know, 
because remember I didn't really grow up with them and my development years was they weren't spend spent with my mom and dad so I know they did the best they could and they were adjusting to the preteen and the hormones and the teenage years that I was coming into because they still on their own had toddlers from the very beginning like they had five babies under the age of five and then there was me who was 12 so it's a completely it's a different generational there's a generational gap obviously so the love that I needed was very different from the love that the young babies needed and um I can see that now as a mom it is very different you know like being a 12 year old your mom expects you to do more things at home because you're very capable versus the five-year-old who can't really do much around the house. So I get it. I helped a lot with the diaper changing and the getting the kids dressed for church and the feeding and the bathing. And a lot of that fell on my lap because mom and dad were working full-time. So I had come into that as much as I can. You know, I had adjusted well from being the only one to being the oldest of six. So because there was a generational gap between me and my sister, I was the one for the longest time in full-time school until they started getting older and they started getting into pre-K and kindergarten age. But like I said, at this point, I was already in sixth grade. And so I was exposed to America's way of life and to what kids my age were enjoying and kids my age were into. It was nothing bad or anything like that, but you know, I was exposed to the lingo and play dates and sleepovers and, you know, kids that at that point they had their own phones and stuff like that. And I wasn't really in, allowed to indulge in any of that. Like sleepovers were a big no-no in my family. I don't know if it was just my mom's, you know, cultural upbringing and that's just not something you do. Like you don't sleep in other people's houses or if it was a church religion thing where it was a fear of something happening to you outside of your parents watch I don't know I just remember asking so many times can I have to sleep over at my friend's house and it was just always a no and um I remember one time we were having family dinner and I came home I was talking to my little sister I don't remember this so long ago but I said the word dude like I called her dude and my dad he just flipped a switch he was like, don't say that. And he got so, you guys, he went from zero to 100. Said, don't say that. You don't even know what that means. Why are you calling that? Where are you learning that from? Why are you calling her that? Do you even know what that means? Don't say that. That's inappropriate. And I sat through a whole lecture during dinner about how I shouldn't conform to the way of the world and I should just stay in my straight and narrow because I said the word dude. And after that, I realized that day I can't. I can't really be truthful about my personality and the things that I was learning and developing because I was in fear of getting reprimanded for the little things like the word dude. And so I felt ostracized, you know, like it was really, it was really that big of a deal. It was just, and now my kids at this age, they call me, they call me bro and dude. Of course, right place, right time. But, you know, when we're just hanging out and bonding, they'd be like, bro. And it's really not a big deal to me. But looking back, I was like, man, he got so mad that I called her a dude. 
And that was the point where I was like, man, I don't really have an outlet. And I felt like I wasn't able to be truthful to my parents and have the same relationship that my friends had with their parents where they can be open and honest and talk about things that they did at school and talk about their boy crushes and talk about this and all the little things that were a big deal in a 12-year-old's world. So at that time, I had kept a diary for a while. And that diary was my absolute Bible in life. Like it was my biggest secret that I kept at that point in my life. And that diary saw everything true and honest that I had going on in my head and my heart. I just let out all my frustrations and anger and loneliness and happy moments and celebrations. I wrote everything down in that journal. And I didn't hold anything back. Like I was very honest in what I wrote in my diary because I never anticipated anybody was ever going to read it. So I didn't hold back anything. You know, I wrote down how I was angry that I was here and I just feel like my parents don't love me. And I remember a lot of those diary excerpts were about my resentment for my mom's husband and how he was just not a pleasant person at that time. And um, I used the word hate a few times. And it was just very raw and real and honest from the bottom of my heart. In my 12-year-old heart. And uh, I remember I lost something. And my mom was really upset that I lost it. And she was just yelling and, and lecturing me for days about how I lost this thing. I think it was a cell phone or something like that. I lost the first cell phone they ever gave me. I don't remember how I lost it. I just remember the repercussions that came with losing it. It was just endless hours of lecture and screaming and yelling and how irresponsible I was for losing my phone at 12 years old. And my mom spent days looking for this phone. And in the process of looking for this phone, she found my diary. I remember I kept it under my pillow. Easy access for me every time something happened or I would get in trouble, which happened a lot. I would always get yelled at. Um, I would run to my room and write my feelings out onto the pages and it would instantly make me feel better and lighter because it felt like I was talking to somebody as I was writing these pages and I would just write my feelings down and tears crying and then I would write my tears and I would go back downstairs and go on with my day like I just had a little therapy session with myself and so she found this diary and she read every piece of content that was recorded in this diary so she got a glimpse of how I really felt in my head in my heart and she was not happy about anything that she read and shit hit the fan. <laughs> I remember this happened, I think it was on a weekend, because I didn't have school, and we really spent all day looking for this phone. And all of a sudden, my mom's demeanor towards me changed. Like, she just, she wouldn't look at me, she was being short with me, she didn't, 
like she just stopped talking to me altogether and I just assumed it was about this damn phone like I she was really mad about this phone for days now because we couldn't find it and looking back now as a mom I'm thinking like man if my daughter lost her phone it would her mental health is so much more important to me than something that's like replaceable like a phone and so if we, if her and I spend days looking for this damn phone and we couldn't find it, whatever, it's already lost. We'll find it when we find it. Let's get you a new one. At least that's my attitude. I feel like it wasn't worth the verbal abuse, for lack of a better word, that I got for losing this flip phone. And um, again, my mom only knew what she knew. When she would get angry, she had very sharp, powerful painful words to lay on you every time she would get mad about anything and I was like the worst person in the whole entire world at the time that I lost this phone but her demeanor changed and we waited for dad to get home and he got home and I just remember him being like your mom wants to talk to you so come upstairs we need to talk and every time I heard those words I just was like oh my god I was ready to slit my wrist what did I do now what am I going to get lectured for now? And it was safe to assume that it was about the phone because we hadn't found this phone. And my parents' choice of punishment at that time were four, five, six-hour lectures where I would just sit there and they would talk to me for hours on end, regardless of what time of day it was. There were moments where we would sit there till three in the morning talking about whatever it was that I did that they didn't like. And so as soon as he said that, that they needed to talk to me upstairs, I went to my room and I was going to write in my diary thoughts that I had. And when I check for my diary, it wasn't under my pillow. Dun, dun, dun. Immediately, I knew what we were going to talk about. I don't remember everything that was said during that lecture session, but my mom was livid. She read about how I hated my dad, how I wish my papa never gave me up, how I hated, you know, being the oldest sister. But you have to remember these excerpts were recorded based on emotions right? Because as a 12-year-old kid, you're filled with emotions. You're figuring out how to navigate through your feelings and your thoughts. And so every time something bad would happen, I would write it down. And every time something good would happen, I would write it down. And a lot of the bad was centered around my life at home. And a lot of the good was centered around my life at school as a sixth grader. And I remember like recording, I had a crush on this boy in sixth grade. His name was Zach. I'll never forget it. And um, one of the very few times that my parents let me have movie night with my friends at school, it was a big deal. Like they had to talk to the mom of the friend whose house I was going to go watch a movie in. And they had to make sure that as it was a safe house and they were members of the church. They had to be members in the church for me to go there. And I remember like my dad talking to his parents and her parents and it was just it was like there was like a whole interrogation process for me to just have a movie night at a friend's house so anyway I knew one of my my crush was going to be at that movie night play date thing 
And I came home that night after the movie night and I recorded in my diary that my crush was there and we sat next to each other while we were watching the movie and he put his little baby arm around me, you know, he did the move and I, butterflies were everywhere and heart, heart eye emojis. I was 12. Crushes are a big deal in a 12 year old world. And my mom was so focused on the fact that a boy put his arm around me. And it was like the world was falling apart. Like the second coming is happening. Like this boy put his arm around me and I could have gone pregnant. So they were just absolutely, they nitpicked everything that I wrote down. And how come you hate your dad? And your dad was the one who worked so hard to get you here. And your papa didn't even want you. And you, why do you hate your sister? And like... I was confronted about every little thought and every little emotion that I recorded on this little notebook. And I was absolutely terrified because you could just see the anger in my mom's eyes. And it was almost like they didn't even know who I was because I didn't take the liberty to talk to them about things that were going on in my world because I was just always going to get in trouble about my truth and my honest feelings. So I put it down on this book and then she read it. And like I said, I wrote it down without expecting anybody to ever read it because that was for me and my eyes only. And that was my outlet. And I don't remember how long we talked, but we talked for a long time. And this diary was a big deal for days. And this happened towards the end of the school year of my sixth grade school year. And a week later, they decided that it was best for me to be homeschooled for middle school because they didn't want me exposed to the ways of the world. And I had to be in the world, but not of it. And I had to live God's way of life. And being in public school was ruining my gateway to heaven, basically. The worst case scenario went from zero to a hundred. And if I was okay with a boy putting his arm around me when they're not watching, if I was to go to middle school and kept on doing that, I was going to end up pregnant at 16. And so they presented homeschooling as such a beautiful thing. You know, I was just only going to do school for three hours a day and I could do the rest of my day whatever I wanted and that's not at all what happened <laughs> I was homeschooled for my seventh and eighth grade year but the whole schedule thing was the dominant factor of my life I had to stick to that schedule of waking up at six in the morning doing breakfast getting the kids ready for school and then doing my school for three hours and then after that I had to do chores every day and it was a repeated thing every day. I had to do the dishes. I had to clean the bathroom. I had to vacuum the stairs. And if those things were not done on my schedule, when he got home and looked through my schedule, the ass chewing I would get was out of this world. And that really messed me up mentally and emotionally because I felt like, you know, my social needs as a teenager, 13, 14 year old, they weren't really being met. I didn't have any friends. 
because I was homeschooled. And my mom tried to get me into the homeschool groups. You know, they would have events and they would meet up, I think, once a month, if I remember right. And she would take me. But I was this lonely kid that just sat there in the corner. And I didn't know how to make friends. I didn't like talking to people. And the friends that I was allowed to have were members of the church. And they didn't really get along with me either because... So many of those kids that were my age were so clicky. They went to public school, so they had their own friends at public school. So they didn't really know me because they only saw me on Sundays. And um, as a teenager, like that sucked. And I felt like I had so much fire in me to be friends with people. And I was such a nice kid. And I did everything that I was supposed to do with my chores and the big sister and the kids in school. And I was just misunderstood. There was something missing in me. And because I was homeschooled for two years, even more so, I took on the role of the big sister. I was at home with the kids full time. And when I wasn't doing school, I was making them lunch and I was changing my little sister's diaper and mom and dad were working full time. So I was the childcare basically at home all the while doing my schooling, which, by the way, I didn't learn shit. I am not a self-taught learner kind of person. I need to be shown things when I learn things. But because of the whole diary incident and being found out, like, how I really felt about things, I was so scared to tell my parents how I really felt about homeschooling. So I led them to believe that it was the best decision they'd ever made. And because of that, I grew even more attached to my siblings because I was alone there full time at home. And I didn't really have much of life outside the house except for church activities. And the girls my age from the church, they would have activity nights every Wednesday. And I would go enjoy those activities. And if I didn't want to go, I would get in trouble because it's a church thing. You have to go. So I had to be surrounded with people that share the same gospel and principles in life. So I would go, but it wasn't fun for me because these girls already had their own friends because they all went to school together and they all played sports together. And I didn't get to experience any of that. And so I felt really isolated and even more lonely than I already was feeling than when I was in public school. And because of those feelings, as cliche as it sounds, I was looking for love in all the wrong places because, again, I couldn't really be myself with my parents and tell them how I was feeling or thinking. And all these other girls my age that were supposed to be friends with me had their own friends because they had their own lives. And I discovered the world of Facebook. <laughs> as a 13-year-old with a Facebook account nowadays is absolutely terrifying, right? And so... At that time, that was how I kept in contact with my online classmates. That's how we chatted and talked about school and homework and whatnot. But next thing I knew, I was enjoying it. And that became my escape throughout my day. And I just had friends in low places and high places. I had friends in, in Georgia, in Washington, in Maryland, in Oregon, like states across the universe. I had friends. 
because I was just looking for this sense of community and friendship and people that understood me. And it's very easy to understand people behind a keyboard because you just kind of get what you get. And um, looking back now as a mom, I'm thinking like, man, if my daughter was 13 and she just had stranger friends of adult ages and teenagers online, I think, fuck not. (laughs) So that terrifies me as a parent because, of course, you don't want your kids to go through, you know, what you went through. And remembering that 13, 14-year-olds, whether they're a boy or a girl, this is the most hormonal time of their life. You know, hormones are changing, puberty is getting hit, people are learning and unlearning things about feelings and physicality and emotions. And so because Facebook was my new world, I found myself having relationships with people online. And this was, again, like the best thing that was happening to me in my life because my everyday routine was so mundane and I would get in trouble for the smallest things. And these people that I was talking to online were my happy place. And it's such a cringe moment talking about it because I remember having my first, I consider my first ever boyfriend was through Facebook. And he was a full-blown adult. You guys, I was 14. And looking back now, I was like, man, what the fuck was this guy thinking talking to a 14-year-old online? But at the time, as a kid, in that mindset, you don't really think of those things. You know, like I mentioned earlier, for my eight-year-old daughter, like this candy stand was the best thing ever. And it was going to be her, it's going to be her whole life's journey. And for me at 14, I was like, this man, he was the love of my life. And he is my first boyfriend ever. And oh my gosh, so dangerous. I know so many of you guys are probably cringing listening to this. But um, it was the center of my universe at that time because nothing else was you know I didn't have friends I didn't have a real life outside of my house and outside of the computer so that that was my that became my thing in my teenage young teenage years and at the time I already had another phone that my parents were so graciously let me have after losing the first one and him and I would talk on the phone every night when my parents would go to bed And I would just have minutes racked up into this phone that I was sneaking around talking to him. (laughs) And they, I gained their trust because I was homeschooled. There was nothing else I could fuck up, you know? Like, I was in public school getting pregnant. But then it was like, I can see how when they found out, it just seemed like I was this fuck up kid. Because, man, I just, we just can't have you anywhere. You can't be in public school without getting your boys put their arm around you. And now you can't be homeschooled because you're just going to talk to these guys online without considering the root of the actions that were being made. But that's just how sad and lonely I felt at that time that I was just looking for any person that was going to listen and understand me and love me as I came as a teenage kid and my parents found out about this whole relationship thing that I was having on Facebook and I mean rightfully so I was only going to be able to hide it for so long (laughs) 
<laughs> and one day, I guess my parents got the phone bill and they saw that I was talking on the phone every night for hours on end. And all the minutes were on this balance on the account. And it was just such a blur. I feel like it was one of those things that you kind of just block out of your memory because it was just so bad. It was so bad. And again, here come the lecture sessions. And that was one of the many times where we talked all the way till four in the morning. Nobody slept when they found out. And I remember my mom being so angry. And here comes her sharp tongue talking about, I wish I never brought you here if this was all the problems that you were going to cause. And those words stuck with me. Because all the things that they were telling me and saying to me just felt like I was really just this fuck up kid. I couldn't do anything right. And I couldn't, I don't know, I was just ruffling their feathers way too much. And had I not ever come here, I would have never caused this much trouble to them. And they had full blown adults calling um, our landline at home back when landlines were a thing. There was this full grown woman who called our landline at home and my mom picked up the phone and she told my mom about this inappropriate relationship that I was having with this adult as a 14 year old. And that kind of just nailed the coffin shut because now strangers in Washington had our phone number and was talking to them about how their daughter was just talking to a pedophile online and it was bad. So here we go again with the reprimanding and the probation and the keeping track of my search history on Facebook or on the computer online. And mom worked from home now so that she could keep an eye on me. And I just did the things that I was supposed to do that was on my schedule, which was that piece of paper. And my phone was taken away. And here I was back to square one and searching for purpose and love and feeling lonely because there was just absolutely no like what's going on in your head and how do you feel like what are the feelings that you're feeling that led you to do these things it was just very like you're so irresponsible you never know what's going to happen and what if this person is a pedophile and what if this and you just you're causing so much trouble in our family and there was just so much hatred and anger towards me without having to dissect what was causing those feelings and now as an adult one of my favorite quotes as a mom is um be who you needed to be when you were younger so now as we're coming into we have still a few years but as my daughter gets older 8 9 10 11 12 I know the kind of mom that I need to be to prevent her from needing to look for love in all the wrong places. And I know what kind of attention that she needs. And I'm very hyper attentive to her thoughts and her emotions because I know what I went through when I was a younger child. And, you know, as an, as adults, whether you're a parent or not, if you just have the young ones and in your life, whether it's a niece or a cousin or a nephew, especially as a mom, paying attention to the years that your kids are in and being the person that you needed when you were that age makes such a huge difference. 
So I'm so attentive with my kids' love languages. My kids are very, uh, they're on the complete opposite side of the spectrums. My daughter, she's very words of affirmation kind of kid. And my son is a very physically affectionate kind of kid. And it's hard to juggle them too. But you know, you do it because I always look back to when I was that age, like what, what kind of person or adult did I need at the time to make sure that my kids don't end up doing the things that I ended up doing just to feel loved. I had so much love and deep gratitude for my parents and seeing the other side of that now, <laughs> those things that I went through as a teenage kid, I had to go, I did, I had to go through it. And this seems like it's a trend throughout my, all my episodes, but I had to go through it to become the person that I am now for my babies. And I saw this quote the other day and I screenshotted it and saved it on my phone. It was really powerful. It says, I didn't grow up having role models. I grew up having people I didn't want to be like and seeing situations I never want to be in. Not all of us are dealt the right cards, but that doesn't mean that you can't reshuffle your deck for a better outcome. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for caring enough to give me some of your time today. Subscribe, comment, leave a review, and share this with your loved ones that you know would enjoy it. Next week's episode, we'll be talking about a traumatic, taboo topic in our society. Follow to make sure you never miss an episode and go on with your day as your unapologetic, authentic self, because literally, nobody cares.